this is going to be a different type of show. Uh, it's not really going to be a show. Uh, I'm going to watch the FDA webinar uh, that was done for vape shops. Uh, and I'm going to record it, and I'm going to stop and start it and play it. Uh, Jeannie, uh, Jeannie K is going to be gone for a period of time. I have no idea what's going on other than she will not be back until August. Uh, the way that this network thing is set up, it's use it or lose it. So um, I'm in the mood to watch this webinar. If you don't want to watch a webinar uh, and listen to what the it's it's an all it, you don't really need to see uh, it's people sitting at a table so it's not like uh, the video is is helpful for anything other than you get to see their faces so I'm gonna watch it I, I thought I heard some things in it on it the first time I watched it and so I'll to go ahead and stop and start it as things go through and uh, that's about it welcome to this edition of FDA tobacco compliance webinars Education and information for retailers and small businesses, sponsored by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and its Center for Tobacco Products. I'm David Racine. Thanks for joining us today. On May 10, 2016, FDA finalized an historic rule extending its authority to all tobacco products, including products such as e-cigarettes, cigars, hookah tobacco, and pipe tobacco. And today we're gonna to be devoting our whole program to questions and answers from retailers about the new rule, which we call the deeming rule. And here to answer those questions are Swati Kabaria, Deputy Director of the Office of Compliance and Enforcement right here in the Center for Tobacco Products. Terry McDonnell, Deputy Director and Ellie Abara-Pratt, Division Director, both also from the Office of Compliance and Enforcement. Now, if you're a retailer, I hope you've had a chance to watch some of our previously recorded compliance training webinars about the deeming regulation. Two of particular interest to retailers are new regulatory requirements for tobacco retailers and retail compliance check inspections, an overview for tobacco retailers. Both are found on our website, www.fda.gov slash tobacco products. Now we'll get to as many of your questions as we can during a later segment in our program. And I want you to keep in mind that the answers we give today in response to your questions should be considered general in nature and may not apply to your particular circumstances. Okay, so let's first turn to some questions that retailers have been asking since the deeming rule was released. And I'm going to start with a few definitions um, because we use a lot of terms and we'll use them today. I know we'll make sure everyone understands what, what we're talking about. So let me start with you, Terry. What do we mean by the term tobacco product? So the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act defines a tobacco product as any product that is made or derived from tobacco intended for human consumption, including its components, parts, and accessories. This term does not include an article that's a drug or device or a combination product as defined in the Act. Okay, so until the deeming rule becomes effective, what do we currently regulate, like say today? So since June of 2009, we've regulated four categories of tobacco products. Cigarettes, cigarette tobacco, roll your own, and smokeless tobacco. And once the deeming rule is effective, what are we going to regulate? So the final rule, or the deeming rule as we sometimes refer to it, extends FDA's authority 
to any tobacco product that meets the statutory definition, including components and parts, but does not include accessories. So let me give you some examples. So a newly regulated product could be an ENDS, a cigar, a hookah tobacco. An accessory that we wouldn't be regulating under these newly deemed products would be something like a humidor, a tip cutter, a lanyard for an e-cigarette or an e-cigarette carrying case. All right. So you just mentioned ENDS products. So what do we mean by that term? So N stands for Electronic Nicotine Delivery System. So that would include products such as e-cigarettes, e-cigars, e-hookah, uh, vape pens, vaporizers, and electronic pipes. Okay, so when I was looking through all the questions that we've received so far, a lot of the questions were something like, oh, what happens on August 8th? What do I need to know? So let me go ahead and start with some general questions. So. What's the significance of August 8th, 2016 for retailers? So August 8th is a very important date because that's the date the rule becomes effective and its provisions become effective. So the um, rule was published, as you said, on May 10th, 2016, and 90 days after publication, it becomes effective, which, of course, is August 8th. Okay. So... These provisions, there are some provisions that take effect immediately and others that have staggered timelines. So we've created a chart on our website that lay out all these provisions and their time frames. So we suggest that everyone go to, that, go to our chart on the website just to make sure they understand all the provisions. But as far as the provisions that retailers might be interested in, I'll talk about a few of them now. Okay. So there's three of them that deal with covered tobacco products and that take effect on August 8th of this year. So they are, a retailer must not sell a covered tobacco product to anyone under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. A retailer must verify by photo ID anyone under the age of 27 who's attempting to purchase that product. And retailers must not sell these products in vending machines unless the vending machine is located in a facility where no one under the age of 18 is present or permitted at any time, which is basically an adult-only facility. And are there any other restrictions? So there's a couple other restrictions we can talk about. Uh, the first one would be applied to all newly deemed products. So that would include components and parts. So that basically says that manufacturers, distributors, and retailers cannot distribute free, free samples of these newly deemed products, including their components and parts. And then in addition, there's the modified risk tobacco uh, provision. So that prohibits the sale of modified risk tobacco products whose labels, labeling, or advertising uses words like uh, less harm or lower risk than other commercially marketed tobacco products. So in order for these products to be on the market as of April 8th of 2016, they must, uh, August 8th, sorry, I, 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 I'm sorry, August right. 8th, 2016, they must have an effect, uh, an order in, in effect from FDA. Okay. All right. So you just used the term covered tobacco mm -hmm. products. So... Let's go over again. What do we mean by a covered tobacco product? So both uh, the terms finished tobacco product and covered tobacco product are terms that we do use on our mm -hmm. website, right. in our webinars, and in our um, probably in our chart. So they are important terms for retailers to understand. So a finished tobacco product is any tobacco product that is in its sealed final packaging and available for a consumer to purchase. Uh, a covered tobacco product is any product deemed under the new regulation 
but excludes components and parts that are not made or derived from nicotine. Or tobacco. Okay, so uh, she says it does not include components or parts that are not made from nicotine. So that's kind of a critical thing, so I'm going to rewind it. Available for a consumer to purchase. Uh, a covered tobacco product is any product deemed under the new regulation but excludes components and parts that are not made or derived from nicotine. Or tobacco. Or tobacco, right. sorry. Um, so that's a lot of words, so let me give some examples. Right. So a newly deemed uh, finished tobacco product and a covered tobacco product could be the same thing. So for instance, um, e-liquid made or derived from tobacco, um, hookah tobacco, or a cigar. Those are all examples of covered tobacco products. And finished tobacco products. And product. finished, okay. Right. So they're both. So both a finished and a covered tobacco mm -hmm. product. A product that would only be finished would be a product such as a vaporizer or a um, electronic tube that would be packaged and sealed separately for consumer use. That's what makes it finished. Yes. Okay, very good. All right, well, let me move on to you, Ellie. So we have... Okay, so clearly... Uh there could be some misinterpretation by the way that it was answered. He didn't follow up the question well. Uh, when she's talking about a tube, that's not a tobacco product. Um, we'll keep on going. I haven't talked about online retailers. Mm -hmm. So do they have um, requirements? And if so, can you talk about some of them? Sure. So, David, online retailers um, must comply with the same requirements that brick-and-mortar retailers must comply with once the deeming rule takes effect. And some of these restrictions, as Terry has already mentioned, would be that online retailers cannot sell tobacco products to minors or persons under the age of 18. Um, online retailers also cannot distribute free samples of tobacco products. So speaking of free samples, we've mm -hmm. got a lot of questions about free samples, including some just yesterday, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. So many retailers have written that they offer free samples of things like uh, nicotine tobacco containing liquid in their stores. Mm -hmm. So does the regulation restrict free samples? Yes. So on the effective date, um, newly regulated tobacco products, including their components and parts, will be prohibited from distributing free samples. Um, and uh, what we mean by free samples, or let me start, start off with what we don't mean by free samples. So retailers, uh, this includes cigar retailers, um, ends uh, retailers, they are permitted to allow their adult customers to smell, hold, handle the product uh, but they cannot allow uh, their consumers to taste or otherwise consume the product. That would be in violation of the free sample distribution restriction. Um, I assume they can't leave the store yes, with it also. in addition to that. Um, right. Yes, they cannot leave the store with a free sample of the tobacco product. Okay. Now, there's ample ways to go around the free sample. I heard uh, Shell Hamill uh, who's a board member of Safada, uh, saying that people should charge $2 for, a, for the sampling. That, to me, is, seems ludicrous, uh, that that $2 is just gigantic. I've been in a store that uh, 
that did this, uh, and this is long, before, obviously it's before the uh, thing. They, for 25 cents, uh, might have been 50, I think it was 25, they sell you a drip tip in a sealed little plastic thing. Um, and it's, it's a good one too. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a little cellophane thing. And uh, you buy that, and then uh, then you, you sample all you want. And then if you buy a liquid, you get uh, the 25 cent credit back. It's you, That's part of your purchase. Um, that seems like an easy way that if people are going to say that uh you can't uh you can't uh, get that as a credit back on your thing uh, i i don't i i think that's one easy way to do it or you charge a, a dime for it and then you don't give them a credit back at the end anyway there's there's easy ways to get around the free sampling thing um so that's what that was here's a specific example so somebody asked what about an e-liquid that doesn't contain tobacco or nicotine? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to add to that. So for my example, I'm going to say, let's say it's a bubblegum flavored e-liquid mm -hmm. that doesn't have any tobacco or nicotine. Does the free sample provision apply? Okay, so a bubblegum um, zero nicotine e-liquid. Zero e nicotine, yep. zero tobacco. Yeah, so it depends okay. um, if it's considered a, a component or part of a tobacco product, then it would be, or component or part of a newly deemed product mm -hmm. um, that would meet the definition of a tobacco product that is restricted from this free sample distribution ban. Okay, so they wouldn't... So you cannot distribute you cannot, that product. You cannot if offer a free sample of yeah. those products. Correct, okay. if it's intended to be used um, in the consumption of a tobacco product. Okay, great. Okay. All right. Because she asked, answered half the question, uh, and he didn't pursue it for both sides of the question. Her answer back was, if it's a tobacco product, it applies, the free sample rule applies to a tobacco product. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Uh, and there's some ambiguity that's left in her response. But she really answers the questions well, I think. Uh, I'm just going off of memory. I'll, I'll watch it all again here right now. We get a question about paying for a free sample. Mm -hmm. Does the restriction apply if they charge a customer, so let's just say for a taste? Mm -hmm. um, yes, so charging to sample your tobacco product, um, in essence, would not be considered a free sample. Okay, very good. All right. Okay, so there, there she just, everybody that's been speculating that this would be a, a way around it to charge for samplings, she just confirmed it. And if you've heard my other broadcast, if you're listening to this, this is, this is the woman that... Uh, you know, knock nor is calling a bimbo. It really pisses me off. She's answering very discreetly. She's answering these questions very well. Uh, you can't blame her for answering the questions. And uh, so when smoke-free radio people go off, uh, you know, just lambasting these people, it bothers me. So I'm back to you, Terry. So we had a few questions about self-service displays, whether, for example, a retailer has to place something like it, their e-juices behind the counter. An example of a question we got was whether their e-liquid can be out in the open in the store. So what does the deeming regulation say about self-service displays? So restrictions regarding self-service display displays don't apply to the newly deemed products. It's important to note that restrictions regarding the products we currently regulate are still in force. So that means that self-service display for cigarettes, cigarette tobacco, roll your own and smokeless um, cannot be in a facility unless no one under the age of 18 or president permitted at any time. Okay. 
So let's talk about vending machines for a moment. So she said right there that it doesn't, self-service doesn't apply to the newly deemed tobacco products. That's news to me. Uh, it's not something I really care about too much, but that's still news to me. Um, we had a question about selling e-juice in a vending machine, say in an automated mall kiosk. Is something like that permitted? So remember when I talked about vending machines, mm -hmm. they were associated with covered tobacco products. So an e-liquid that is made or derived from tobacco would fall under the definition of a covered tobacco product. So therefore, it could not be sold in a vending machine unless it's located in a facility, in an adult-only facility. And someone specifically asked if it would be okay if that vending machine in the mall had an automated ID scanner. So then would that make a difference? So the vending machine is located in a mall, which obviously is open to anyone under the age of 18, so it wouldn't even come into bearing on this situation. It is important, um, another thing I can add is that if that e-liquid is not made or derived from tobacco, therefore it doesn't meet the definition of the covered tobacco product, the vending machine restriction would not apply. All right, another question for you, Ellie. Mm -hmm. We received lots of questions from retailers that said something to the effect, do I have to get rid of all my stock? Mm -hmm. on August 8th. So why don't you go ahead and walk me through what happens on August 8th. Yep. So um, on August 8th is when the deeming rule takes effect and we expect that newly products that are on the market on August 8th will continue to, to be marketed by manufacturers up to three years while the manufacturer submits their tobacco product application to FDA and FDA reviews that tobacco product application. Okay. All right, Swati, you're up now. We had a, a caller and they asked, can I take, uh, can I continue to make e-liquids during the grace period until my products are approved? And, and I know we don't use the term approved. We usually say authorized for marketing. Okay, that's a, that's a very good question. So as Ellie mentioned, um, the deeming rule in the preamble provides for a number of different compliance policies um, related to um, submissions that manufacturers um, have to make to FDA, um, including submissions related to pre-market authorization. So if, the, if you are manufacturing a tobacco product um, as of the effective date, a newly deemed tobacco product that is not grandfathered, which means it was not on the market as of February 15, 2007, which is a statutory date, mm -hmm. um, you're considered new. Mm -hmm. And if you're manufacturing a new tobacco product as of the effective date of the rule, August 8, 2016, then you would be required to um, submit an application for pre-market authorization within the compliance policies provided by, by the agency in the regulation. So, um, and once you've submitted the application, you receive an additional period of time, also provided in the regulation, um, to continue marketing your product while FDA reviews uh, your submission. And um, I would refer you to, to the chart that Terry mentioned earlier, the effective and compliance dates, that provides, a, it's a very good resource to tell, uh, to determine what provisions um, are effective and what compliance policies apply. So you talk about the August 8th date. So what if I'm marketing a product on August 8th and let's say it's 1.2% nicotine e-juice and then let's say two months later I want to market 1.8%. Uh, Do I need marketing authorization? For the product that you are marketing as of the effective date, mm -hmm. so August 8th, 2016, right. 
um, you would be uh, able to benefit from that compliance policy, uh -huh. which means you could continue marketing the product while you submit um, your application for review and FDA reviews uh, your application. For the product that you want to first market after the effective date, right. um, you would need to obtain pre-market authorization from FDA before marketing your product. All right. So let me go back to you, Terry. So is this a question for me because a lot of uh, the retailers that of the currently regulated products are, are used to us going out and doing compliance check inspections. So what about the newly regulated retailers? Um, what can you say about inspections? So as you just mentioned, we have a nationwide retailer compliance check inspection program already in effect. So we have an infrastructure of inspectors that go out and do retailer compliance check inspections mm -hmm. for our currently regulated products. Mm -hmm. So these inspectors will be trained and ready to inspect any establishment that's selling newly deemed products as of August 8th, 2016. So, as of August 8th. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, Swati, back to you. So another common question we received, and we kind of touched on it earlier. So they will be enabled to check vape shops on August 8th. That's clearly what they just said. Is they'll say, the e-liquid product that I sell does not contain nicotine and is not derived from tobacco. Is my zero nicotine non-tobacco containing product subject to FDA regulation? Well, um, it depends. Um, as Terry and Ellie mentioned earlier, the products that are now um, subject to FDA's authority include tobacco products defined under the Act as uh, any, t any product made or derived from tobacco, including its components and parts and accessories, except for the rule uh, excludes accessories from our, our authority at this time. So a component or part is defined in the rule as an assembly of materials or software that is intended or reasonably expected to alter the constituents, components, characteristics of a tobacco product, um, or that is intended to be used with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product. So if your zero nicotine product is intended to be used with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product or would alter the characteristics or performance or constituents of a tobacco product, then it would be a component or part and would be regulated. So specific example, which actually came from a retailer, they asked, is the vaporizing characteristics of a tobacco product um, or that is intended to be used with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product. So if your zero nicotine product is intended to be used with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product or would alter the characteristics or performance or constituents of a tobacco product, then it would be a component or part and would be regulated. So Okay, so I understand that by what she just said is that a clearomizer sold independent of nicotine as a finished product is outside of the domain of the Tobacco Control Act. Specific example, which actually came from a retailer, they asked, is the vaporizer that I sell a tobacco product? Um, I would refer you again to the, the definition of a component or part, which is an assembly of materials or software that is intended or reasonably expected to alter um, the performance, composition, characteristics of a tobacco product or is intended um, to be used with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product. So 
if that vaporizer would fall into that definition, then it would be a component or part and would be regulated. What I'm saying is it would not fall into that. All right, Terry, you said earlier uh, that an ENDS, which you said was an electronic nicotine delivery system, includes things like e-cigarettes and vaporizers. So two questions that we received mm -hmm. for you. Can I sell my ENDS device to a friend even if I'm not a shop owner? Okay, so let's talk about the definition of a retailer. A retailer is an entity or individual who sells a tobacco product um, to a person for their personal consumption. Okay, um, so as Swati just described, a vaporizer could be a component and part, so therefore it is a tobacco product, so you meet the definition of that retailer who's selling that product. So all the regulations regarding the sale of a product would apply. Can I give my old ENDS equipment to a friend for their personal use? So I, I think this is a silly question in the first place. Um, and I know people got upset about this answer, so I'm going to listen to it again. It's like e-cigarettes and vaporizers. So two questions that we received mm -hmm. for you. Can I sell my ENDS device to a friend even if I'm not a shop owner? Okay, so let's talk about the definition of a retailer. A retailer is an entity or individual who sells a tobacco product um, to a person for their personal consumption. Okay, um, so as Swati just described, a vaporizer could be a component and part, so therefore it is a tobacco product, so you meet the definition of that retailer who's selling that product. So all the regulations regarding the sale of a product would apply. Can I? So uh, it, it is slightly confusing, but I, I, I interpret it as if you are a retailer, then it would apply. But if you were selling something to a friend, you are not a retailer unless you're going to, you know, sell them out of your uh, back of your trunk left and right. And then you would be a kind of a retailer. But if you just want to sell something to your friend, it's it's not controlled by them. Uh, they're not going to bother with it. Uh, it's a red herring. I give my old ENDS equipment to a friend for their personal use. Okay, so in this case, you're not selling anything. So you would not meet the definition of a tobacco product retailer. All right. So, Swati, we talked on the... So, all you would have to do is uh, you sell it to your friend, except your friend doesn't give you any money because it's a complimentary item, but then he gives you, uh, uh, you know, $50 uh, to sing a song for him. So, he's buying a song for you. I mean, there's... As far as... Are they going to run around and try and stop people from uh, selling vaporizers to friends on like the internet and stuff like that? It, maybe if you're creating a business, but if you're just selling a one-off thing, um, you know, if you're not a business, they're not going to care about you. Uh, but if you're if you're doing it on eBay or whatever, it, it's a silly question. And the reason why it's such a silly question is because if you ask a regulatory, you know, official, uh, you know, can we get around this by uh, just, you know, doing it, just uh, selling it to a friend, they're going to have to give you the standard answer. Uh, and, and that's what was given back is a standard answer. If you're a retailer, you're, you're a retailer. Uh, but, you know, I, as far as, I do not believe for a second that if you put a listing up on Facebook uh, for your own personal stuff uh, and you're not like doing it every single day, uh, there's going to be no problem.
phone with a vape retailer who creates a sort of kit. So what he, this person did was he takes different parts of an ends, like the vaporizer, the coils, and then some tobacco-containing e-liquid, and he sell, sold it to the customers as a unit. So he puts them together, sells it as a unit, and I'm, there's probably all kind of variations on the, this same theme. Is that still considered a retail activity? So the statute defines a manufacturer, mm -hmm. a tobacco product manufacturer, as anyone who manufactures, assembles, packages, labels, relabels a tobacco product, including um, importing a tobacco product. So if you're engaged in any of those activities, you would be considered a tobacco product manufacturer under the Act, and you would be required to um, comply with all the provisions that manufacturers would be required to comply with. All right. So, Ellie, we haven't said much about cigar retailers, so let's, let me give you a few questions that we've received about these types of establishments. So one question was, I only sell cigars that I buy from a wholesaler and manufacturer. Do I have to worry about whether my product is following FDA rules? And, so, and then maybe you could talk about, in general, some of the requirements for uh, selling cigars. Sure. So if you're selling cigars to individuals, uh, it sounds like your cigar retailer, you would have to comply with the requirements applicable to retailers. Um, and some of these restrictions or uh, requirements include not selling. Uh, your cigar products to uh, persons under the age of 18, uh, making sure you verify aging ID for persons uh, less than 27 years of age and not selling your cigar products in vending machines unless it's an adult-only facility. Uh, so those are some of the uh, restrictions for cigar products. Uh, in addition to that, there are cigar warnings okay. uh, that will take effect in uh, 24 months after we had issued the rule. Um, so that's not until May 10th, 2018. Um, cigar product packaging and advertising will need to display the required warnings, and I believe there's six required warnings under the rule, um, and that needs to be displayed in accordance to a warning plan that's submitted to FDA and reviewed and approved by FDA. And I imagine that there's lots of requirements for the font and the placement and things like that for exactly. those warnings. Yeah, so the rule outlines uh, required font, text, size, placement, and formatting of warnings for packaging and advertising. So I encourage you to um, review the, the, the rule and the um, small entity compliance guide. And what if you sell uh, cigars without any packaging, mm -hmm. so single, let's say they're single unpackaged cigars. You know, that's a good question. It'd be difficult to put a warning if there's no packaging. Right. <laughs> um, so in lieu of a packaging, retailers would be responsible for placing all six warnings on a sign at point of sale. So for example, next to a cash register register and would have to comply with, again, the font, text, size, mm -hmm. uh, placement, and formatting of the required warnings. So I hear that um, you're working on something to help retailers on that? Uh, you heard correctly, <laughs> David. Um, so I, we encourage retailers um, and anyone interested in cigar warnings, cigar warning plans, mm -hmm. we are planning on um, doing a webinar okay. in the near future. So okay. monitor our website. All right. Now, uh, what about the new warning requirements for other covered tobacco products? Can you say a few words about that? Sure. So there are new warning requirements for 
covered tobacco products. So again, to um, you know, emphasize what we mean by covered tobacco products, these are newly uh, regulated tobacco products, mm -hmm. excluding components and parts that are not made or derived from tobacco. Uh, the new warning requirements also apply to uh, cigarette tobacco and roll-your-own tobacco. So this warning requirement is just one warning. It's the addictive nicotine warning statement. And again, just want to emphasize that this warning applies to these three categories and does not apply to tobacco products that are not made or derived from tobacco. Now what about when the packaging is too small mm -hmm. to put the warnings? Uh, sure. So there's a special provision that covers that situation. If a uh, covered tobacco product's packaging is too small to apply all of the required warnings and font text size requirements, um, it, there is a provision that allows you to place the required warnings on a uh, carton um, or an outer container or wrapper um, or a tag that's firm and uh, that's uh, permanently affixed to the product packaging. And since this webinar today is for retailers, so any exceptions for retailers? Yes, there are exceptions to retailers. So if re retailers are receiving products from a manufacturer, distributor, uh, importer, um, they would be responsible for ensuring that their packages and advertisements um, contain a warning and that the warnings are not altered in a material way, for example, covering up the warnings. All right, Swati, um, here's a question that um, we got from a vape shop retailer. I actually talked to this person. One thing is that you should be able to add additional warnings to a product yourself. Um, that does not go over the other warnings. I think that's true. So, for example, if you bought something from a foreign market and you brought it over here uh, and it does not have a Prop 65 warning, I believe you would be able to apply that to the bottle itself and still not be considered a manufacturer. Uh, but that's something to think about still. It was, I buy e-cigarettes from China wholesale and sell them in my store. Am I a retailer or an importer, or maybe both? Uh, you may very well be both. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, a manufacturer is any person who um, manufactures, packages, assembles, uh, processes, or imports a tobacco product okay. into the U.S. Um, for, for U.S distribution. So you could be an importer, you could also be a retailer, which is defined as any person who sells a finished tobacco product to a consumer for uh, personal consumption. And if people have more questions about importers, I know we have something on our website, so they go ahead Absolutely. and take a look at that. All right, Ellie, this actually, this question's from me. So if I'm a... Yeah, I don't know the answers to this, but uh, it might be simpler if you're to buy from a distributor than to be bringing the stuff into your shop from uh, Heavenly Gifts or, or something like that. Uh, it might be simpler at that point. Uh, however, if you're importing now directly into your shop, uh, I believe it's more likely that they would give you a warning letter if there was something wrong with it rather than to just, you know, go ape shit on you. So, it's, it's, it's an open question um, whether it's going to be better just to buy from a distributor 
to avoid certain rules uh, or if you can just do it yourself and bring it in I would say uh, if I was a shop that I'd I would I personally would feel comfortable with continuing to, to import um, and sell it and not be freaked out that the FDA is going to come in and kill me um, but for peace of mind and and probably actually efficiencies it's going to probably make sense to go through a distributor anyway. I, I don't think that you can buy it yourself and save much money rather than finding a good distributor. But, you know, those are all individual ch choices for an individual shop. Retailer, and I find out that there's some kind of problem with a tobacco party. What are some of the things that they could do? Oh, sure. So it depends on what the problem is that you'd like to report. So if you want to report a problem that's associated with the product, for example, contamination, or if you experience an unexpected um, adverse event, uh, you can report that to FDA's safety reporting por portal for tobacco products. Um, if you would like to report potential violations uh, associated with the Food and Drug Cosmetic Act and its related regulations, you can report that um, using our potential tobacco product uh, reporting form. All right, sweaties. So a feature of any new regulation is your competitors might turn you in. Um, that's life, I guess. So we've gotten a few questions in this area. So generally they say something like, what if I only use synthetic nicotine to make my e-juice for my vape in my vape shop establishments? Are these products still regulated? Um, again, it depends. Um, if your tobacco pro or if your product would meet the definition of a component or part of a tobacco product, in that it's an assembly of materials or software that's intended to uh, or re reasonably expected to alter the constituents uh, performance um, of a tobacco product, or it's intended to be used in the human consumption of a tobacco product, then it would be considered a component part or part and would be regulated. All right. So intent is obviously in the eye of the beholder, um, and I mean that in a legal way. So I, I, this is just going from memory. I think this they're going to be coming back to this question, but the, the question essentially was on tobacco-free nicotine, an alternate form of nicotine, um, and she kind of punts at this point, uh, but they'll come back to it. Uh, back to you, Terry. Uh, we received some comments while talking to people on the phone about personal use of the newly regulated products. So generally, what does the term refer to and does FDA regulate the personal use of tobacco products? So let's take an example of where someone might be mixing e-liquids in their home for their own personal use. So if they're mixing them for their own personal use, FDA would not regulate that because typically FDA does not regulate the personal use of a tobacco product. All right. by a consumer. Uh, question. So that's kind of surprising to me, but uh, that's like a gigantic green light to DIY or DIY, whichever way you want to call it. Um, the, the only question then is the availability of, of Nick Base. Um, but um, I'll play that again because it, it seems like it's just a green light. Personal use of the newly regulated products. So generally, what does the term refer to, and does FDA regulate the personal use of tobacco products? 
So let's take an example of where someone might be mixing e-liquids in their home for their own personal use. So if they're mixing them for their own personal use, FDA would not regulate that because typically FDA does not regulate the personal use of a tobacco product right. by a consumer. Uh, question for you, Swap. So that, that's a, it's a big, gigantic, open-ended question um, because uh, what if somebody is selling uh, a pre-mixed thing uh, to where you just have to squirt in your flavor and do it at, at your house. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's some people in Chicago that are thinking that they can uh, sell nicotine on one side and then uh, sell the flavors on another, and then the consumer handles it on their own. In, in this case, uh, the nic I think it's going to be problem if you're selling them in together in the same shop because you would uh you they would be essentially saying you're kidding you're 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 creating a kit to mix together therefore you're intending them to go together and then because you're intending them and you're reasonably expected to be using them together that you would uh you would be a tobacco product However, if you had a shop that was just selling flavorings and there was no nicotine inside the entire shop and your customers had to, you know, walk down the street uh, and then there's Joe's only nicotine shop um, and then it's all done at home, I don't know. It seems to be a loophole. Uh, so for the people that are intending on stocking up on nicotine, the FDA is already hinting that they don't have control over that. Um, so there's definitely ambiguity there. On the positive side, it seems like DYI is in pretty good standing right now at this point in the, uh, the webinar. Um, what about a retailer who also believes they're a manufacturer? Would they ha do they have a registration requirement? Um, so manufacturers of tobacco products um, must register their establishments and list the tobacco products that are manufactured within um, with FDA by December 31st, 2016. Hey. So if a retailer is also a manufacturer in right. that they manufacture, process, um, you know, package, label tobacco product, then they would be required to register with FDA. So that's really the key there that they're also a manufacturer because retailers by themselves who are only performing retail activities, they don't have to register. No, there is no registration requirement for and, retailers. And is there a cost to register? There is no cost. No cost, okay. All right, so we've gotten this question a few times. Are wires, cotton, and batteries considered components or parts of a tobacco product? If the wires, cotton, or battery would be intended or reasonably expected to be used um, to be alter the performance, constituents um, of a tobacco product, or if they would be intended or reasonably expected to be used in the human consumption of a tobacco product, then they would be considered components or parts and would be um, regulated under the deeming rule. Okay, and if they're not? And if they're not, then conversely they would not be. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, question received from a retailer. What so. I, that's kind of a tricky one, uh, the way it was asked and answered. Uh, but she used a gigantic if in front of it. Uh, so I'll play it again just to see if 
because this question gets asked again too, as I recall. We've gotten this question a few times. Are wires, cotton, and batteries considered components or parts of a tobacco product? If the wires, cotton, or battery would be intended or reasonably expected to be used um, to alter the performance, constituents um, of a tobacco product, or if they would be intended or reasonably expected to be used in the human consumption of a tobacco product, then they would be considered components or parts and would be um, regulated under the deeming rule. Okay, and if they're not? And if they're not, then conversely they would not be. Okay, all right. Because, so the, the answer is they're not. Because uh, a battery could be used for a non-nicotine product, and so it's reasonably expected to be used with a non-tobacco part. And so it's covered under the non-tobacco part. Uh, I guess the easier way to describe what the what the dilemma is is how do you deal with something that isn't ha has two different usages one uh, that could be used in a tobacco part and one that could be used in a non-tobacco part and uh, which one has the the governing power and I would argue that it would be the one that is not covered by the regulation. Um, and I just don't think they have an angle at this. They, they could really work hard to try and do this, uh, to, to try and, and go after uh, batteries, just raw batteries. Um, but, but fortunately for, for most vape shops, that's not where they're, that's not, the, not a profit center. Um, anyway, it is what it is. Hey. <laughs> All right, question received from a retailer. What happens if I mix e-liquids at home and sell them to my friends? Okay, so let's go back to my example of where you have a person who's in their home mixing e-liquids for their personal use. So in this case, they decide the product is so great they're gonna sell it to their friends. So in this case, they meet both the definition of a retailer, an individual who's selling a tobacco product to a person for their personal consumption, and also of a manufacturer. So again, to go back to Swati talked about the definition of a manufacturer, that someone who manufactures, including repackagers and relabelers, who manufacture, assemble, process, uh, fabricate, or label a finished tobacco product. So in this case, you're both a retailer and a manufacturer. So if they sell to others, that's the part that makes them a retailer? Yes. Okay, I got that straight. All right. Now, lightning round, <laughs> quick answers only. All right, you ready? <laughs> These questions, I, we actually just got in yesterday. So I'm going to start with you, Ellie. Sure. With respect to the newly deemed products, mm -hmm. Are coupons allowed to be redeemed by a retailer so long as the face value of the coupon is less than the retail price of the tobacco product? Yes. All right, good. You follow <laughs> my instructions. Yes. All right. <laughs> Next question. See, that, that's why, I, to be, I, I'll try, this will be the last time I say it, but. I really, really like this lady, Ellie. She, she got asked a question, it was specific, and she gave a one-word answer that answered the question completely. And I'll play it again. 
and, and which is basically uh, our coupons still allowed um, because the coupon does not exceed the price because it, it means no the coupon is less than the total price of the product so it's not a free sample um, and so I, I'm not sure if this was thought to be an issue by some but it could be certainly for for all the coupon code websites and stuff like that so I'm gonna start with you Ellie sure. with respect to the newly deemed products mm -hmm. are coupons allowed to be redeemed by a retailer so long as the face value of the coupon is less than the retail price of the tobacco product. Yes. All right, good. You followed <laughs> my instructions. Yes. All right. <laughs> Next question. What age verification requirements are necessary to verify legal age for, for an online sale of tobacco products? Yes, so as I mentioned earlier, David, this is not going to be a short answer, but okay. it's going to be right. relatively short. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> so ret online retailers are responsible for not selling regulated tobacco products online to um, any persons less than the age of 18. Okay. Now, what about promotions such as buy two, get one free? Are they allowed and are not banned by the prohibition on free samples? Yes, so multi-pack promotions are allowed. Okay, and how about you, Swati? Is a pipe used to smoke pipe tobacco an accessory and therefore not subject to the deeming regulations? No, it would be considered a component or part. All right, well, all right, all right, you guys, you get a little break now. Uh, take a knee, as they say. <laughs> this has been a great start, and we've got lots of promotions are allowed. Okay, and how about you, Swati? Is a pipe used to smoke pipe tobacco an accessory and therefore not subject to the deeming regulations? No, it would be considered a component or part. All right. Okay, so this is kind of a legalistic uh, answer and question, I think, uh, because the question presupposed that it was a pipe to use to be used to smoke pipe to, uh, tobacco they said it was a tobacco pipe um, and so then it then it is reasonably uh, expected to be used with a pipe tobacco because they just that's how the question was asked however the question would be would a pipe that could be used for multiple items be considered a tobacco product? That question was not asked and it was not answered and I think that's the more important question. We've gotten some great questions from you. So now let's get started. Ellie, um, just go over something we went over in the last segment is about free samples. So Ellie, are free samples of all tobacco products prohibited? Yes, David. Um, all tobacco products are prohibited from being distributed as free samples. Okay. All right. So let's start going through these questions. Thank you again, everyone, for sending them in. So I'll get start with you, Terry. So if I'm a retailer who does not manufacture a product, so I only sell products that are purchased from manufacturers, do I need to register in any way with the FDA? So I don't, no manufacturing, just retailing. So if you're just a retailer, you do not need to register with the FDA. All right. Okay, so that is what the Cole Bishop bill changes. What everybody just heard 
was that if you're a retailer, do you have to register with the FDA? The answer back was no. With uh, the Cole Bishop bill, whoever inserted the language, we won't go into that right now, uh, for this national registry of, of vape shops, uh, you have to, uh, under the Cole Bishop bill, every single vape shop, every single retailer, every single everybody has to register with the FDA unless you've already done that with your state because the state is going to give that information to the FDA. That's the Cole Bishop amendments. Ellie, mm -hmm. are there any changes to the tobacco labeling requirements? Yes. I think you kind of yeah, talked a little bit about that. Yeah, we covered that. There's so the addictiveness warning for cover, covered tobacco products, roll your own tobacco and cigarette tobacco. And for cigars, there's the new cigar warning requirements for both packaging and advertising. And if somebody is interested on when the compliance dates for those, um, uh, when those come into com yes. uh, mm -hmm. place, so, where, where should they go? Um, the compliance date, the, the warnings will take effect 24 months after the date that the rule was issued. So that'll be May 10th, 2018. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we'll have a webinar that'll cover cigar warnings, packaging advertisements, and the cigar warning plans. And I think we also have some kind of chart on on our website that yes. has a lot of the has the compliance states on yes, there also. Correct. So the chart and the um, small entity compliance guide. Okay. All right. So let me read the question, and then we can see who wants to answer. <laughs> How will um, will store checks start to include? retailers like online retailers after the August date. So in other words, are we going to be um, doing checks of all retailers or just brick and mortar stores? So the answer is yes. We'll yes. be doing both. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about um, premium cigars a bit. So how was premium cigars um, addressed in the new FDA ruling? So the final deeming rule does not distinguish between premium and non-premium cigars. Um, the regulation ex extends FDA's authority over all cigars and any other tobacco product um, that meets the definition of a, of a tobacco product under the Act. And so the rule does not distinguish or define premium cigars. Okay. So I received, uh, um, apparently we're getting a lot of questions regarding manufacturing requirements, questions about registration and listing, questions about the pre-market application process. So today's webinar is really geared toward retailers. So we are going to be having additional webinars that will address uh, these types of requirements. All right, so now back to Swati. We kind of touched on this one. So as of August 8th, can I continue to mix e-liquids in my store for my customers? So that kind of goes back to the what happens on August 8th question. Exactly. So as of August 8th, if you are selling a product, um, mix, manufacturing a product that you had been already manufacturing as of the effective date, August 8, 2016, you may continue to um, manufacture and sell the product uh, while you prepare and submit an application for um, marketing authorization with FDA and FDA reviews your, um, reviews your application, which could be up to 36 months. Um, if you are starting to manufacture and sell a new product after uh, the effective date, which is August 8, 2016, then you must get 
pre-market authorization prior to marketing the product. All right. And okay, so I'm going to listen to that again uh, because I, I think that uh, the, the information that Dimitri is spewing out, the information that Shell Hamill is spewing out, and the information that some other people are spewing out has just been directly contradicted by the FDA. And so while Shell and Dimitri and whoever else wants to cause a panic and fear, what I just heard is that vape shops that are mixing, that want to follow through with the process with the FDA, will be able to continue to mix in their vape shops for two more years. And then the, the last year, I won't touch on that, but what I just heard her say was that. I'm going to rewind it and make sure that, that what my ears didn't mess up, but I think that's what was just said. So, uh, I mean, we can, we can go into the whole argument, well, what happens after two years? Uh, that that's a whole other that's another branch but if what i heard is correct if you're a vape shop and then you're mixing in your vape shop and you uh file with the fda your registration and your information and you do all your proper stuff and this is not a pmta it's just uh registering with the fda that you'll continue to be able to mix in your vape shops for another two years that would be news, I think, because, again, I've heard Shell and Dimitri and the vaping militia and, and all these, you know, people that are just, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm really pissed off uh, because I think that they're causing undue panic and stress. There's plenty of things to be panicked and stressed about. But if they're going to rally and shove people to jump off a cliff over this stuff and are, are saying, oh, these vape shops are already shutting down, um, I mean... 24 months is still 24 months the last time I checked a clock. We kind of touched on this one. So as of August 8th, can I continue to mix e-liquids in my store for my customers? So that kind of goes back to the what happens on August 8th question. Exactly. So as of August 8th, if you are selling a product, um, mix, manufacturing a product that you had been already manufacturing as of the effective date, August 8th, 2016, you may continue to um, manufacture and sell the product uh, while you prepare and submit an application for um, marketing authorization with FDA and FDA reviews your, um, reviews your application, which could be up to 36 months. Um, if you are starting to manufacture and sell a new product after uh, the effective date, which is August 8th, 2016, then you must get pre-market authorization prior to marketing the product. All right. And as a kind of a follow-up on this, we um, back to the what happens on August 8th question. Exactly. So as of August 8th, if you are selling a product, um, mix, manufacturing a product that you had been already manufacturing as of the effective date, August 8th, 2016, you may continue to um, manufacture and sell the product uh, while you prepare and submit an application for um, marketing authorization with FDA and FDA reviews your, um, reviews your application, which could be up to 36 months. Um, if you are starting to manufacture and sell a new product after uh, the effective date, which is August 8th, 2016, then you must get pre-market authorization 
prior to marketing the product. All right, and as a kind of a follow-up on this, we um, touched on it, but I think it bears repeating. So let's say I sell e-liquid in my store. Do I have to register with the federal government as a retailer? Uh, no, as we mentioned, uh, I would submit an application for... Um oh, back to Swati. We kind of touched on this one. So as of August 8th, can I continue to mix e-liquids in my store for my customers? So that kind of goes back to the what happens on August 8th question. Exactly. So as of August 8th, if you are selling a product, um, mix, manufacturing a product that you had been already manufacturing as of the effective date, August 8th, 2016, you may continue to um, manufacture and sell the product uh, while you prepare and submit an application for um, marketing authorization with FDA and FDA reviews your, um, reviews your application, which could be up to 36 months. Um, if you are starting to manufacture and sell a new product after uh, the effective date, which is August 8th, 2016, then you must get pre-market authorization prior to marketing the product. All right. All right, so I think that's clear. I, I think the question was clear and I think the response was clear that you can if you are if you are a manufacturer quote unquote and that that means you're a manufacturer that you're mixing in your shops that you are going to be allowed to continue to do that provided you do the necessary uh, you know hurdles and those hurdles are registering with the FDA and and this that and the other but it's not a PMTA it's we're not talking about a PMTA you have to do some you know some basic stuff registering your product you'll have to register your uh, your ingredients but other than those things you'll be able to continue to do it and as a kind of a follow-up on this we um, touched on it but I think it bears repeating so let's say I sell e-liquid in my store do I have to register with the federal government as a retailer uh, no, as we mentioned uh, several times, retailers, if you are strictly retailer, I'm only a retailer, you do not have to register with FDA. And then once I start doing manufacturing activities, you've kind of gone through what some of those then, are. Then there are a number of other uh, requirements that you must comply with, including registration and listing. And as you mentioned, um, there is a webinar on uh, the FDA website that talks about manufacturer and importer um, obligations under the deeming rule. And um, there will be another uh, question and answer webinar um, in July for manufacturers oh, okay. as well. All right, July, all right. Another one for you, Swati. If we import our products, are we considered a tobacco manufacturer? Under the statute, a manufacturer is defined as anyone who, uh, you know, include, does things like um, manufacturing, processing, fabricating, assembling, uh, packaging, relabeling, or importing a tobacco product. So if you are importing a tobacco product, you are a manufacturer under the statute. So, Ellie. Mm -hmm. So that's a more clear answer to a question that came up earlier. Uh, so if you are importing stuff straight from China to your store, they're going to consider you a manufacturer. If you're importing things that are not, uh, not tobacco related, it's not covered by the Tobacco Act. That's what I've been saying for two and a half years. However, uh, to keep things simple, 
you're going to want to find a distributor, in my opinion, to sell you those products that you want somebody else to land it into the United States and then you want to buy it from them because that's just a better way to do it. Less worry. Now, if you're trying to make uh, 35 cents on every dollar and that means you're only going to make uh, 32 cents, uh, that might be the outcome. This goes back to the free sample issue. So will there be a will there be a distinction made between store owners proactively offering a free sample of a tobacco product versus a legal age customer that comes in and requests a free sample from the retailer? Any distinction there? There's no distinction. The regulations restrict the free sample distribution of tobacco products. All right. Can a customer, the free sample is very popular, here's another one, can a customer sample a cigar for free at a tasting event hosted at the retailer location, but the sample is supplied by the manufacturer? Short, short answer is no. Short answer is no. Okay. So, <clears throat> another one for you, Ellie. So that was a, a total cigar question, uh, but the question was, uh, you know, uh, Cubano cigars has come into the local store and they're, uh, they normally have it to where they just, you know, handing out free cigars like somebody just had a baby. Uh, and that's what the retailer is trying to do. In, in this case, it, it's going to be as easy to solve for the cigar people as it is. You're going to, you know, it's, um, do you want to try, uh, you know, Cubano cigars today, uh, 25 cents, you know, and you get a whole stogie. Uh, so it, it's pretty simple workarounds. I, I think the free sample is is such a low bar to get around. Um, it's good we can get around it so easily. A vaporizer that's sold without any liquid isn't required to contain the warning label mm -hmm. that you've been talking about. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. These are, we're zipping along here. Uh, so this is my favorite lady again. Uh, that was absolutely clear. That's entirely consistent with what I've been saying. Just qualify that. Okay. That's correct oh, as long as it's not made or derived from tobacco. Okay. okay. There it is. Sure. I agree. Free sample question. Can you expand further on a zero nicotine product falling under this regulation? Since a zero nicotine product does not contain or is derived from tobacco, how can these products be defined as a tobacco product? I can take that one. Okay. So uh, the statute defines a tobacco product as anything that's made or derived from tobacco, but it also includes components, parts, and accessories of a tobacco product. So the deeming rule uh, extends FDA's authority to uh, anything that meets the definition of a tobacco product except that it excludes accessories. So that means it includes components and parts. So if that zero nicotine product of tobacco products is what she didn't say. She just uh, just didn't say it, but that's what she's talking about. Is a component or a part of a tobacco product, then it would be regulated and would be subject to the free sample prohibition. Okay, um, Ellie, uh, this decaffeinated coffee. I don't think we talked about this. So does a tank device lithium ion battery have to have stickers on them that say this product is made from 
tobacco because none of them are. Yes. So we'll talk, so, talk about that. We sure. didn't really go th go into that today. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, the nicotine addictiveness warnings apply to covered tobacco products, uh, cigarette tobacco, and roll your own tobacco. So covered tobacco product, as Terry defined earlier, um, includes the newly deemed products, but excludes components and parts that are not made or derived from tobacco. So if those um, products are not made or derived from tobacco, they would not need to comply with the warning requirement. All right. So you wouldn't have to slap a sticker on it. Okay, so this question is about the vending machine. So I'm gonna address okay. it to you, Terry. So we know you said earlier that on August 8th, um, you can't use a vending machine with covered tobacco products, mm -hmm. except if the facility is one where children are neither present nor permitted at any time. Mm -hmm. So if, is there anything for self-service displays inside a store that is not um, restricted to um, those that are 18 years of age or, or older. So what's what, what about the self-service so display? So let's we, talk yeah. about self-service right. display. So for newly deemed products, there are the restrictions regarding self-service displays do not apply to them, okay? So, but self-service display restrictions continue to apply for the currently regulated tobacco products, cigarettes, cigarette tobacco, roll your own, and smokeless. Okay, so, uh, Someone's asking for us to repeat the answer on the pipe question. So the question, I believe, was, and Swati, I think you answered this, um, is pipe... So there's more flexibility on self-service displays. Uh, I don't think this should be a big issue for most vape shops because self-service displays are a good way to have your product biffed by somebody walking in and pocketing it. So uh, you don't want to have stuff just sitting out on the counter. I wouldn't. Uh, but there's a little more flexibility uh, in the law, I, I, so it's a nothing. Is a pipe considered an accessory? And I think you said... I said no, um, because a pipe would be considered a component or part of a tobacco product because it is um, intended or reasonably expected to alter the performance, composition, constituents or characteristics of a tobacco product, or it's intended to uh, be used in the, with or for the human consumption of a tobacco product. Um, it would be considered a component or part, and therefore it would be regulated. It would not be an accessory. And is a pipe um, considered a covered tobacco product? A pipe by itself, by itself, right, is not a covered tobacco product because it itself is not made or derived from tobacco. So it would be a finished tobacco product, a component or part, but not a covered tobacco product. It would be. That's confusing. Um, considered a covered tobacco product? A pipe by itself, by itself right. is not a covered tobacco product because it itself is not made or derived from tobacco. So it would be a finished tobacco product, a component or part, but not a covered tobacco. Uh, and is a pipe um, considered a covered tobacco product? A pipe by itself, by itself right. is not a covered tobacco product because it it's not a covered tobacco product, that's clear. Itself is not made or derived from tobacco. Because it's not made or derived from tobacco, I agree so far. So it would be a finished tobacco product, a component or part. 
So it wouldn't be a finished tobacco product because it's not a covered tobacco product. So I think she's she ha she's made an error there. But not a covered tobacco product. I think she's simply made an error. Okay, so next question. I'm just going to throw it out here. So are batteries and... They would have to go into head shops uh, and then... then start regulating them that way and I don't think there there's any means that they're gonna go into a head shop and regulate bongs um, and a bong is just a pipe uh, so I think she's made an error uh, and I think the law supports that she's wrong on that specific item tanks considered tobacco products only when they are packaged with an e-liquid uh, that has nicotine so the answer to that is not necessarily, because if the um, battery and tank assembly is would be considered a component or a part because it's intended um, or reasonably expected to alter the um, composition, performance, constituents of a tobacco product, or because it's used in the consumption of a tobacco product, that makes it, it would a be, tobacco it, product. It would be, yeah, that makes it a component or part, in which tobacco. case it's regulated. Yeah. Okay. Another one for you, Swati. For retailers that do not fully understand uh, the impact of the final rule, is there a grace period or some kind of eased enforcement period for retailers in which they will not receive fines or punishment for noncompliance? Well, for the requirements that are that go into effect for retailers as of the effective date, August 8, uh, 2016, um, retailers should be prepared to comply, which is to say they should not sell their regulated tobacco products to those under the age of 18. They should check um, photographic ID for those under the age of 27, and they should not sell their products in vending machines, covered tobacco products in vending machines, um, if they permit those under 18 um, from entering their facility at any time. Okay, well. So that was basically saying that a vape shop better not be selling to kids, better not be using vending machines, better not be doing self-service displays, all the basic stuff that everybody knows, you know, don't sell to kids, you better not, or else you get your ass busted. Now, all of that was related to vape shops. Now. So you have to pull off a vape shop that is mixing themselves because that, that, that makes them a manufacturer. And you have to pull off out of what she just said, uh, somebody that is importing and making themselves a manufacturer that way. But other than that, vape shops should not be worried. I do not believe that you should be worried at this time with what I know about jackbooted government workers coming in and messing you up. If they're going to do something, they're going to give you a fine. But the only thing that they've outlined these fines for, or a warning letter, uh, they're going to they're going to do that for the things that she just described. So that's for vape shops that are not manufacturers or importers. There's no reason why you should have Shell Hamill or Dimitri Agrafonis or some of these other people, the vaping militia, freak you out and get you to close your doors. You're going to have to do something. You're a business. You're going to have to operate in the world that you're in now. But you shouldn't get shaken out just for this. 
you know, if there's other business considerations, that's fine. But uh, don't let people lie to you. I'm going to keep answering your questions uh, before I get into these last set of questions because uh, we're getting a little short of time here. Ellie, you had um, something you wanted to add on about free samples. Yes, I did, David. So I had mentioned earlier that uh, the free sample distribution ban applies to all tobacco products. Mm -hmm. I just want to cl clarify that there is an exception for smokeless tobacco product. Okay. That hasn't changed. Um, uh, smokeless tobacco products can be, uh, free samples of smokeless tobacco products can be distributed in limited quantities within an adult, within an qualified adult only facility and as described in the regulations. Yeah, there's very specific yes. requirements for that, right? Correct. Okay. All right, let's get to the questions. All right, Swati, if I'm an importer and I repackage and only sell to retailers, what am I considered to be? You are considered a manufacturer under the statute because the definition of a manufacturer under the uh, Tobacco Control Act includes an importer. Okay, all right, so for you, Ellie, most coils come in a package of five. Each coil is sealed in the pack. If we sell the coils separately, do we need to label each coil with the warnings? So again, the nicotine addictiveness warning only applies to covered tobacco products, excluding components and parts that are not made or derived from tobacco. Roll your own tobacco and cigarette tobacco. So if that is a component and part that is not made or derived from tobacco, you would not need to place the warning on it. All right. All right, Ellie. I mean, that was a, <laughs> Ellie, again, uh, you heard what she said. It was pretty clear. She answered it straight. You get to sell your coils, and you don't have to worry about all this uh, warning label stuff. Next question. How will CTP monitor compliance of online retailers or vape shops? In other words, will store checks start to include these types of retailers after the August date? I think we kind of talked about that. So I mentioned that we will have inspectors out mm -hmm. going to stores that sell newly deemed products mm -hmm. as of August 8th. Mm -hmm. And, and the same for online retailers. As of August 8th, all of the provisions that come into effect will be fed into our routine monitoring and surveillance program, which includes online retailers. Okay. Next question. Currently... Okay, so clearly, if you're an online realtor, if you're an online realtor, retailer of any size, uh, you know, significant size, uh, you better have your your age gate set up and you better have your your stuff because that's the first thing they're looking for is are you selling to kids that's the first thing and so if they can breach your site by having a kid uh, that they've set up with all the right tools all the expert you know expertise they can and, and they then they go around your site I would expect a warning letter real fast um, who knows I mean it, it's you know it, it's just a calculation right now if I were to have a, a large shop online uh, of whatever name it is and I don't have a decent lock on, on the front where you have to pa push past it saying you're 18 and then, but much more importantly, that when I make my sale that I'm not able to demonstrate that I've done it through an age verifier and they're available, that I would expect that they could come after me 
I would also expect that the first shot would be a warning letter uh, and then rapidly after that uh, it would be penalties. Uh, I have to go and check to see what the actual escalation path of these warning letters are. I, I've read before, uh, and if you've listened to my shows before, uh, that in 2015 they did 160,000 retail inspections. And of those 160,000 retail inspections, about 3K fines were given out. And that doesn't count warning letters. Those were monetary fines. So uh, you're going to have to do that, right? You're going to have to uh, make sure that you're using a credit card checker that verifies his age. The vape shops that make their own vapor do not need a license of any kind to handle liquid nicotine. Are these shops going to have to get a tobacco license? Are they also going to be regulated by the FDA so that they are using the products correctly? So I'm not sure what they mean by tobacco license. So there's no licensure requirement um, under FDA. federal law, mm -hmm. under the FDA, to sell tobacco products or manufacture tobacco products. So you would not need to obtain a license from FDA. However, if you are manufacturing tobacco products um, for sale to, to consumers you, in the United States, you would need to re, uh, comply with all the um, regu uh, requirements that are applicable to manufacturers, such as registration and listing, document submission to FDA, ingredient submission, um, pre and the, the, the sort of the bigger ones are the pre-market um, authorization and uh, the requirements related to modified risk uh, tobacco products. Okay, so now I've got a... So that's consistent um, with, with what was said before. That, that is consistent. Question related to verifying age in self-service stores. So it says, our tobacco shop has many self-service shelves. So they're, what they're asking if they had an employee verifying a customer's age immediately inside the door, would it would be okay or would it need to be behind a counter? So this is one of those very specific examples. And of course, the, the answers we give are general in nature. So in general, how, what should a, how does a retailer uh, to, um, how does a retailer comply with um, the requirement that um, no children under 18 is present or permitted at any time. So, so if it's one of our currently regulated right, products. Right, so let's say cigarettes. Cigarettes. So it's up to the retailer to determine how they can prevent uh, anyone from under the age of 18 entering the store. But again, self-service displays do not impact the newly deemed products. So... Currently, for the regulated products, it would be up to the retailer to determine how best to prevent. Okay, so, so they still have to, those requirements are still in place. Yes, for the, for the four products categories that we currently regulate. Okay. Um, now, let's say a retailer has questions down the road. Who should we contact with those questions to ensure or we're compliant with the regulations? Well, I can answer that one. You uh, can uh, call us at 1-877-CTP-1373 or you can email us. Now we have a special email for small businesses, so that's smallbiz.tobacco at fda.hhs.gov. Um, the grandfathering date. So why, how did the grandfather date, did you say it was February 15th, 
2007? Yes, that's Where does correct. that come from? That's in the statute, um, actually. It's uh, under Section 910 of the FD&C Act, the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. It's a statutory date. Okay. Um, for Ellie, are there warning label requirements for pipe tobacco? For pipe tobacco. So pipe tobacco would be considered um, a tobacco product. Um, would it be a, considered a covered tobacco product? Yes. I, <laughs> I meant it, covered oh, tobacco yeah, product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was so just that's asking. A newly, yes. Um, so a pipe tobacco would be considered a, a covered tobacco product, which is a newly uh, deemed product. Um, excluding its components and parts. So yes, the warning requirement would apply to pipe tobacco. Okay. Um, next question is, so, and actually Tara, I thought maybe you could just talk about it. You, we've talked about a little bit about the inspections that mm -hmm. we said they're going to start um, on August 8th. August 8th. Mm -hmm. So can you tell, talk a little bit about the process of the inspection? So typically, um, we have two types of inspections. Um, we have what are called undercover buy inspections. Mm -hmm. So that's when we have an inspector go with a miner into a store, mm -hmm. and the miner attempts to purchase a regulated tobacco product. Um, we also have what we refer to as advertising and labeling inspections, which we have an inspector go into the store and confirm that the store is in compliance with all the regulations. Okay, and how will a Okay, so there. It's one little tidbit is they're sending in underage people. So it's, they are actually having under 18 year olds be the, the sting operators. Uh, and they're going in there with an adult escort. Uh, so you, you better be darn careful. But the other thing I picked up is they're definitely ready to start the this under 18 uh, sweep uh, right on day one uh, day uh, August 9th they are, are definitely prepared to do that and again what they're going to be going after is the under 18 thing um, so uh, you better you better be uh, careful tell and know that they've been inspected so um, if there's an undercover buy the retailer probably won't know that there's been an inspector in their store um, but if there is an advertising and labeling inspection the inspector will give them what we refer to as a 482 which is um, a document so that they will tell but in all cases eventually all that information will be posted to our website okay uh, which is updated monthly with all that information so um, now is it just a big list of all the stores? No we have a map we have a map so you can look at that information by date by firm by state, so there's a variety of ways you can look at the information. So there is um, a website database that has all of that information on it. Okay, let me try to squeeze two more in real quickly here. So we said that you have to check the ID of somebody that's um, under 27 if they're attempting to purchase. Mm -hmm. So what, what do we mean by that? Is it a photo ID? Yes, or? it has to be a photo ID. Okay. So. All right, and for Ellie, uh, can you say a couple of words about advertising, uh, the warning requirement for advertisements, like say in a flyer or something like that? Uh, is this for cigars or covered tobacco well, products? Let's, let's or just is it say cigars as an okay. example. Okay, so um, the, the, the required warnings for cigar advertisements are spelled out in the rule, um, and some of these requirements are that the w required warning has to be at the 20% uh, 
mm. upper portion of the ad. Um, it has to specifically state what the warning that's outlined in the rule, you can't deviate from that. Uh, the warnings need to quarterly rotate, mm -hmm. uh, which means you can't have the same warning on the ad for the same brand, um, you know, um, right. and never change it. So in essence, uh, the warnings need to be quarterly rotated and it has to be done in accordance with a warning plan that's submitted to FDA. And these, this applies to retailers who direct their own advertisements? Yes, so that's a good question. If a retailer um, is responsible for the ad and they direct their own advertisements, they are responsible for complying with all of the requirements outlined in the rule. Okay, well, great. Well, guys, thank you. That's all we have for today. I want to thank everyone. Okay, so the last part, it sounds like... Uh, you will see uh, all of those ads in vape magazines. Uh, they'll have 20% of the ad uh, have that warning, I guess. Um, I, it's going to be rather specific. And if you go to your printer uh, and the people that are making your, your copy, uh, it's just going to, you just have to read the rules and do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no two ways about that. You just do it. All right, so uh, that's essentially the, the show. Uh, this was more or less for me to go through this because I had wanted to go back and listen to this. Uh, I heard uh, people chirping and tweeting and, and uh, being uh, dweebs, essentially, uh, about this uh, whole broadcast. Uh, I think that there's a lot of information in there, and there's information that, that they can be held to uh, because they were rather specific with some of their answers. I think they, the news out of this is... Uh, the information that that I'm I think I'm clear on it uh, of course I'm going to double check it uh, after this and, and stuff like that but it was rather clear that if you are a vape shop and that you're currently mixing that you're going to have to go and do the stuff that you would normally do as a manufacturer however for the next two years so long as you do the the just the the bare minimum that you're going to need to do is that you're going to need uh, that you will be able to stay on the market um and you, we can start to go into the next level of all of that would be talking about the ingredient listing, but I'm not prepared to do that at this point. Um, and, you know, if, if uh, you know, what's going to be necessary? Are you going to need to be able to, are you going to be able to say that my ingredients were the ones that, that came from, uh, say, Flavor West? Uh, if Flavor West is unwilling to give you the ingredients to their flavors, uh, then maybe you want to shit can them and, and rapidly go away from them and uh, go over to uh, uh, Perfumer's Apprentice and to uh, the Flavor Apprentice over in Scotts Valley, California. Uh, I used to live in Scotts Valley. It's a very nice place. Uh, people familiar with the area remember uh, Santa's Playground used to be there until they tore it down. Uh, those bastards they 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 tore down santa's village and put up a parking lot for seagate technologies yeah there was 10 15 years in between the two but that's more or less what happened so they if you go to uh the flavor apprentice on their website they have cast numbers for their flavors right now i can i can search by cast numbers cas numbers uh on the flavor apprentice and i it's on my now list of things to do is to give them a call uh, and to see uh, what maybe uh, can be negotiated with them um, because they already have a lot of information that will get people past the first 
uh, barrier. Now, if that means that you have to, uh, what it what what it will do if people, you know, organize just to a, just a very small degree, it's going to put a, a real amount of pressure on uh, Flavor West and any of these other people uh, that. And I and I I have not spoken to Flavor West. I don't know if they, uh, if they actually provide cast numbers or not, or Capella or or. Uh, Lorans or all these other people. I know that I've heard that uh, that Flavor Arts is definitely willing to do it, but if there there should be pressure put on them if they're not going to give you the the specific constituents, not the percentages, just the constituents of their flavors. Tell them to screw off and qu- rapidly remix to another one uh, and uh, get it done, uh, and and you should be able to do that quickly very quickly uh, because it's it's really down to the manufacturer and the proportions and uh, and honestly I would have to say that any of we're talking about these vape shops uh, that are mixing themselves if you can't figure out how to go and switch your flavor manufacturers to keep uh, you know in the game of mixing your own stuff on the fly I mean obviously Anything you mix on the fly in your shop needs steeping. Uh, this is not this is not rocket science mixing and stuff. So if that's your model and you want to keep it, you need to uh, pressure the flavor manufacturers to give you that information because that will be something that will keep you in business for two more years. So anyway, that's the show. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, Listen to the webinars yourselves. Uh, you people can go to the FDA site and listen to that whole webinar again, or you can listen to this show again. I kind of interrupted, so if you don't want to hear me, I, I would suggest to go to the FDA. And uh, tomorrow is Friday. That's the normal time I do a show, and we'll see what I do tomorrow. I don't know. All right, thanks. Bye.